0: Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. So we've been in Galatians for the past eight weeks. Our series is called New, the whole message of Galatians about a new creation, a new identity. We've travelled a long way, really, over the past uh, few weeks. Can I have the con? Give me the control, please. There we go. Um, We've looked at initially how we're made new. We're made new. new. The Gospel marks us as new creations in Christ. It's by God's grace that we're rescued and empowered to live new lives. We've talked about new unity and new freedom, how God unites us regardless of culture or background uh, or social standing, and uh, he releases us to live a new life, to live in a different way. And linked to that, we looked at new ways. We said that the way in is the way on. The gospel is the thing that should stay with us for the rest of our lives. We apply it to our lives, and we live through the lens of the gospel. And uh, we grow by applying the gospel to our lives and trusting in God rather than trying to just live harder or work harder at being good. We apply the gospel. And we said that God makes you new. God doesn't just rescue you. He takes you into his family. He adopts you and welcomes you home. That's why I love singing songs like we sang this morning, You know about the goodness of God. They're great songs to sing because they speak of God's heart for us. They speak of God's adoptive love for us. We don't just become rescued from our our broken lives. We become part of God's family. We become heirs of God, sons and daughters. That's the identity that God calls us into. And so we have a new future. We're free to live uh, to please God. We don't have to live under regulation. We're free, and we can live in a way that brings pleasure to the heart of God. And we talked about new fruit, how as we live from our identity uh, in Christ, then we begin to grow new fruit. The fruit of the Spirit begins to change us and transforms us. And then we did a couple of weeks on relating, how the gospel changes the way we relate to each other. It makes a difference in the way we are with each other. We no longer have to live lives that we feel. We can live lives where we're both bold and humble. In Christ, and then we talked about burdens and backpacks last week, didn't we? And we talked about we're called to help carry each other's burdens, the loads that are too big to manage on our own. But equally, we talked about that rucksack, that backpack of things that we alone are called to carry, that we can't give away, we can't delegate, and we can't abdicate. And uh, and we're coming into land now in Galatians six, just this last section, Galatians six six to eighteen. So you've got your phone or your Bible, you might want to pull it out. And I'll put the, uh, the words on the screen. And this last section is full of warnings and invitations. Warnings and invitations as Paul closes out this letter to the church in Galatia. Let's just dive in there and read this first section. So from verse 6. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers." Verse 11, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised. They may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, spirit, brothers and sisters. So be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So that's Paul closing out this letter to the Galatians. It's been a real journey, hasn't it, to travel with Paul over these past few weeks, and hear his heart and his passion for these believers in this Galatian church. So last week, we we talked about burdens and backpacks, and Paul talked about responsibilities that we have to carry. But he starts this next section in in verse 6 by checking any sort of tendency to think we've now got to go it alone, we've now got to kind of do all this on our own. And what he talks about in this next section is how we're called into this reciprocal relationship so in verse 6, says, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. So Paul's talking about a transaction that should be taking place between a sort of student and a teacher. Paul sees this transaction as being somebody who's further on in their faith, someone who can disciple, someone who can encourage, instructing and teaching somebody who's potentially a new believer in Christ. And he says, what I expect to happen is there a mutual sharing to take place. There's a a reciprocation that should take place between these two people. So as the student receives from the teacher, the teacher supports... Sorry, the student supports the teacher. They're each using their different gifts and resources to encourage each other. Anybody know what this is or who these are? I'm so glad no-one said Nemo. Okay. Mm -hmm. These aren't Nemo's, these are clownfish. And what's special about clownfish? Anyone know? They're an example of a very fancy word beginning with S called, who knows their biology? Symbiosis. Symbiosis. They live in a mutually beneficial relationship with another uh, creature, in this case, the sea anemone. So the clownfish gets protection from the sea anemone because the sea anemone is covered in these stinging tentacles you don't want to go near. And so while the clownfish are living in the sea anemone, the sea anemone benefits from the clownfish because the clownfish kind of chobbles off any parasites on the anemone and also scares off any fish that like to eat anemones. So they're in this symbiotic relationship. One benefits the other and the other benefits the other. And this is what Paul's advocating in this, in this single verse in Galatians. He says the student and the teacher should be in a symbiotic relationship where they're supporting and encouraging each other. Because if one was taking and the other one wasn't receiving, then, then one would just be a consumer. They'd be in a consumer relationship. One would be taking and not benefiting the other. And Paul said that's not what should be happening here. There should be a generous attitude between the teacher and the student. Now, I want to show you some figures. I don't know we do this on a Sunday morning, but I thought we'd get into graphs this morning. So I'm going to show you a graph this morning. Look at this. Okay. I showed you this graph uh, to the the trust board uh, meeting we had on Tuesday. And this is a summary of our income from 2017 to 2019. And the big red bar in the middle is our giving. Now, what happened in 2018? It dropped. 2018 was a big year of transition for us as a church. Uh, we sort of went through a time of sort of recasting our vision and our direction. And some people decided that this was no longer the church for them. They, they didn't want to buy into this vision or this transition or this, uh, this direction we were heading for. Uh, and they left. And they took with them their money, of course, which you do. Um, so we had this dip uh, in, in, October, in, uh, in June of our income um, into the life of the church. But what happened in 2019 it started to go up again. <laughs> and that's because God has brought new people uh, to the church who've come and started to generously give. And also, the church continues to be generous uh, with their giving. If I show you a trend line, anyone likes a graph? You can see that that is actually what's, that's, that's been the trend of our giving and our gift aid. Now, why am I showing you this on a Sunday morning? Well, because I want to talk about the symbiosis that Paul talks about in Galatians. Because a healthy church has this symbiosis taking place where there's generosity from the congregation that releases ministry through the life of the church. And that's what we've had here at Riverside over the years. We've been an incredibly generous church. And our heart is, as we grow and continue to grow, that that generosity will also grow with us. I'd encourage you, if you're new to the church and you didn't hear our overflow series, we did back in February, there were three talks where we talked about our desire to be an increasingly generous church, I'd encourage you to listen to those talks. There's three talks. You can find them on our website or find them via podcast. And they're called Overflow, and they just talk about our heart for generosity in the life of the church. We want to be an increasingly generous church. That's our heart. Uh, just two recent examples of this. We, um, we've just underwritten the lion's share of the, uh, the village at wildfires. So we took a big lump uh, of the costs of putting on a, a village... Uh, on the campsite, so we could bless the other vineyard churches in the area. And we invested in equipment uh, and uh, resources and literally said, we'll we'll underwrite the cost of that village. If no one else contributes, we'll carry the cost because we want to bless the other vineyard churches in this area. That's an example of our growing generosity. We also decided to give £10,000 to Dreaming the Impossible, the vineyard youth initiative that's taking place over the next few years, and you graciously contributed to that as well. That's an example of our growing desire to be generous and to invest in the young people and the emerging generation. You can see from this graph that our business side is working hard across the bottom there. We we get income from different sources. We get income from our cafe, uh, from room rentals, from conferences. And these guys are all working hard to continue to grow the business and to bring income into the life of the church. But that's only part of it. Because our individual giving is part of the backpack that God calls us all to carry. It's all gone quiet. People don't like money talk, do they? <laughs> we don't talk about money much, but we can't, we can't go through a book like Galatians and just go through a verse without really getting into the heart of what Paul is trying to say here. So forgive me if it's your first time in church. We don't normally hit you with money talks. But our individual backpack is a part, part of our... our our giving sits in there. You know, you can be blessed by someone else who's giving, but you, you can't let someone else do your giving for you. Make sense? It's part of that backpack that we can't give away. Uh, in Paul's other letters, uh, in the letters to the Corinthian church, he encourages each one of us to set aside a sum of money in keeping with our income. So Paul is saying, you know, proportionately, look what, you, what comes into your life, what God blesses you with, what God has asked you to steward. Now think about that and think about what you want to set aside uh, to give. And he also says, it, in uh, the second letter to the Corinthians, he says, we should have, decide what's in our hearts what to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, so we're not compelled or we're not under some sort of um, religious sort of uh, rule or regulation. God's not going to be angry with us if we don't choose to give. But we give cheerfully. We give from a heart of uh, cheer and joy. And this is part of the symbiotic nature of a healthy church. Whenever, um, you know, we we need to look at the health of the church, we can look at the money of the church and say, is the church healthy in its finances? And Paul says, don't be deceived in verse 7. Because Paul's saying there's dysfunction in in the church in Galatia. There's a dysfunction between what should be happening between the ministry and the student, there's a dysfunction here. And he's really having a go at these false teachers who he says are in it just for their own glory. They're just in it for themselves. We try and be as transparent as possible here at Riverside with our vision and our values and our processes and our finances so you can see, hopefully, that you're not being deceived by what we do here. And you can then decide whether it's a family that you want to be part of because we furnish you with as much information as we possibly can to let you see, you know, how things go on here. So I would encourage you. I think this is an encouraging graph. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is an encouraging graph because we've uh, weathered a bit of a storm there last year, and we're on the up, and I think God wants to continue to do that and bless us and increase. And every time we get together to pray, there's a sense of God saying, you know, widen uh, your vision, increase your faith. And it's not all about money. But money is important because money and ministry go together. That's what Paul's saying here. You know, you should, should be a reciprocal, symbiotic relationship between the resources that are there. Okay, so let's, um, let's crack on. Enough graphs. Okay, do not be deceived. Let's talk about this next section. Paul turns now to one of the most ancient processes known to man. Sowing and reaping. Agriculture. And he uses it to define uh, what could be called the law of great returns, which is basically you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. He says in verse 7, God cannot be mocked and man reaps what he sows. So whether you're planting things in your garden or whether you're planting things on a huge scale for farming or mass agriculture, the principle is always the same. What you put in the ground is what comes up. If you plant corn you get corn. You don't get carrots. No matter how much you might want carrots to come up, if you've planted corn, you're going to get corn. Okay? This is the defined principle that's at play here. What you sow is what you reap. And sometimes, what you sow, you don't want to reap. You do not want it to come up. But it will. Sooner or later, what you sown will come up. It will produce a harvest, it will grow up. This is what Paul's alluding to here. He says you can't mock God. You can't, you can't change these sort of divine laws that are in place in the universe. He says you sow one thing and you'll reap one thing. You sow another thing, you'll reap another thing. That's just the way it goes. And he goes on to say in this next verse, so Whoever sows to the flesh to please their flesh, from their flesh will reap destruction. These are weighty words from Paul. Whether so to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So Paul isn't saying God's sitting up there with a checklist, waiting to look at what you've sown and go, "Oh, that's a cross. Oh, that's a tick." He's not doing that. That's not what God does. But what what he's done, he's set in place a kind of a structure and left it to us. And he says, "Okay, you, you've sown corn, you're going to get corn. You've sown carrots, you're going to get carrots." These are the laws of the universe, the way it works. And Paul's saying, we need to be really careful what we sow. Because sowing one thing will produce one thing. Sowing another thing will naturally produce another thing. Who knows what this beautiful plant is? Any gardeners in the house? You want to rush out and get this afterwards? It's Japanese knotweed. Oh, not quite so keen though, are we? (laughs) The Environmental Agency says this is without doubt the most destructive, aggressive and invasive plant in the UK. And for three main reasons it gets this accolade. First, it's got this remarkable ability to get through concrete and brick. Secondly, it grows in such a dense cluster and such a rate, it kind of disrupts and eradicates all natural plant life. And thirdly, you can't get rid of it. It's almost impossible to eradicate. It's so destructive, or seen to be so destructive, that mortgage companies run a million miles from this. You know, They automatically want to know, is there any Japanese knotweed on the premises? Because if there is, thank you, but no thank you. So people have had mortgages refused and all sorts because this plant has been around and about. It can grow three to four metres in ten weeks and its roots can go seven metres underground and just basically blast through wherever they find. And even the tiniest fragment of this plant can mature and grow into another plant. This plant's so hardcore that when it was discovered in Japan, it wasn't discovered, it was found by a botanist in in 1850 on the slopes of a volcano in Japan, he thought, what a lovely plant, I'll bring it back to the UK. (laughs) And he brought it back And it was just a female, a female plant, and plants need male and female to reproduce. This plant wasn't fussed, she's cloned herself (laughs) repeatedly. Every single plant of Japanese knotweed in the UK is the same plant. She's the biggest female in Britain, (laughs) possibly the world. She is tough, and she's not going to be stopped. Now, if I came round to your house and knocked on your door and said, I've got this beautiful plant I want to drop in your garden, I want to sow this plant in your garden, it's called Japanese knotweed. What would you say to me? <laughs> no, thank you. or well, words to that effect. <laughs> Sling your hook. Because you, you would reap pain, you would reap huge amounts of problems. No one in their right mind would sow Japanese knotweed into their garden. And Paul says, we do things in our lives that sow similar destruction. And we don't expect them to, but they do, because what we sow, we reap. What we sow, if we sow to sin, if we sow to things that displease God, it has a corrupting effect on us. It has an effect that brings destruction, a perishing. Paul says, sin literally makes things fall apart. We've got a garden set on our patio set we've had for about five years, and I notice this year it is falling apart. You know, the sunlight's been beating down this thing day after day, year after year, and the UV in the sunlight eventually has overcome the plastic, and the plastic is perishing. It's going brittle. So literally, you touch it, and it's just crumbling in your hands. The thing is perishing before our eyes. That patio set is reaping the effect of the sun sowing ultraviolet light into it for hours upon hours upon hours. Sowing and reaping. You know, if you sow anger and unforgiveness and pride into your relationships, it will corrupt the fabric of them and you will reap loneliness because you will eventually destroy the relationships around you. If you sow envy and jealousy, you'll corrupt the fabric of contentment in your life and you will reap bitterness and resentment. What we sow is what we reap. God, these laws that God's put in place, these natural laws cannot be dodged. They cannot be mocked. Sowing sinfully always bears some form of corruption. We talked about the... Um, let's say goodbye to the Japanese knotweed. Beautiful, but no. Right, so let's go back to there. We talked about the sarks, didn't we? Who the, the, remember what the sarks was? That little grim creature on the sofa. The sarks isn't real. You can't buy them. Um, uh, but the sarks is the word that Paul talked about to describe the flesh, the bit of us that wants to rise up and overcome uh, our, new, our new identity in Christ. And we talked about Paul saying, don't subscribe to old mindsets, but be renewed in your mind, be, be transformed in your mind, because you're living out this new identity in Christ. So Paul says, don't, don't feed, don't sow into the old mindset. Don't sow into things that you think are going to produce pleasure, but actually they produce pain, because you'll only reap corruption long-term. I used to work in uh, the IT industry, And back in the day, we'd have these huge hard drives that stored all companies' data, very valuable data. And we had to check these drives for corruption. And so you'd scan them. You remember doing a scan on your hard drive? Good. OK. And you'd run a scan on your hard drive. And occasionally, the program would come back and say there was bad sectors. And that meant on these platters of magnetic material, there were defects. And if the computer knew where they were, it would kind of put a little series of cones around them, not really, and it would say... I'm not going to write any data to that bad sector. If I write it there, the data might get corrupted. You know, so I'm, I'm going to mark that as bad, and we'll carry on. And occasionally, you'd run your scans on your disks, and you'd see an increasing number of bad sectors would start to appear. More and more and more, like a domino effect would be taking place on the hard drive. And eventually, the machine would say, this drive is corrupt. You know, there's not enough good space left to sew into. You put it in the bin, and you start again. The drive would become unusable, become corrupted. When we sow into our sinful nature, it's like we, just, we sow a little bit of a bad sector into our life. We sow a little bit of, of, of corruption onto the drive of our life. And that's okay because God's gracious and God forgives us and God restores us and God loves us. But if we keep sowing repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly corruption into our lives, eventually that corruption will overwhelm us. And it doesn't mean God doesn't love us any less. It doesn't mean God isn't able to restore us. But the effect will be a corruption in our life. Our lives will begin to perish. Our lives will begin to fall apart. We'll reap the destruction that Paul talks about. And this is really a strong warning from Paul. He can't put it any simpler. What you sow is what you reap. Let no one tell you different, okay? You know, it will grow up, it will have a, it will produce a harvest, uh, if you keep sowing into a particular thing. So I encourage this morning. If you've got kind of a, a besetting issue or a habit or something that you're kind of stuck with, you know, get some help, get some prayer, get some support. Don't just say, I'm just going to keep letting this thing just... I'm just going to keep sowing into this and hope nothing happens. Because what you're sowing will one day grow up in you and it will produce a harvest. and It can have this corrupting, destructive effect that Paul talks about here. But in contrast, whoever sows the Spirit we'll reap eternal life. And the translation of the King James is better. It says we'll reap life everlasting. So it's like, it's not like we're waiting to reap our harvest until we die and go and spend time with God. It's almost like what we're sowing now will produce a life in us that we can start to walk in, we can start to enjoy. As we sow to the Spirit, God releases life and joy and freedom, increasing measure to us. And those self-salvation idols we've talked about in Galatians, the things we try and do to make ourselves feel better, God begins to dismantle them and we start to feel better because of our relationship with God and we're free to live day by day, week by week, the joy of being a child of God. So it's really simple from Paul in this section. You know, be careful what you put in. Be careful where you choose to sow because what you choose to sow is what you will reap. And... uh, yeah, I just encourage you, next time you're in the garden, think about that. It's an organic uh, rule, and it's a, a life rule for us as well uh, in the kingdom. And don't worry. You know, you might think, I've sown so much Japanese knotwood in my life, I'm in trouble, metaphorically. God can deal with it. God can deal with it. God can restore you. God can heal you. God can, God can deal with that corruption. He's the great redeemer. He's the great reconciler. So you don't... Have to worry that you're a place where God can't reach you. He can always reach you. We just have to turn and receive what he has for us. Then Paul goes on to say, you know, sowing and reaping is hard work. Don't become weary in doing good for the proper time. You will reap a harvest if you don't give up. I had a friend who worked in the Muslim community in the Middle East, and this was his banner verse, because it was, it was so hard, the ministry he was involved in, he saw so little return for his investment. And, and this was the verse he hung on to day after day, week after week. You know, we won't, if we don't give up, we will see a harvest. Paul said that, you know, some, sometimes sin can take a long time to grow up and manifest itself in our lives, but equally, the good things that we put in the ground as well take a long time to grow up and manifest a harvest But he promises eventually you will see a harvest because the processes that God talked about cannot be mocked. So if you're sowing to the Spirit, you will see a harvest. It will grow up at the right time. But there's always a delay between sowing and reaping. And we live in a culture where everything is instant, isn't it? Everything. We get frustrated if Netflix buffers. That's the culture we're in now. You know... I've got two seconds of buffering and my life's over. <laughs> but we live in a world where it takes the time for what we sow into what we want to reap, and what we want to harvest. And in the kingdom of God, it, things don't come instantly. They take time. You know, you read your scriptures and you look at the lives of people who live for decades waiting for God to move. And we get disappointed, you know, if it's a long queue at McDonald's. We feel our lives are over, are inconvenienced. But actually, these things take time. You know, it's God, it's you, and it's time. That's the triangle of how God produces change in you. It's God, it's you, and it's time. Time's God's biggest lever to produce change in your heart and your life. So He's not in a rush, you see. But we are. But He will always use time. So, as we sow in the Spirit we don't become weary in that sowing, then we will see this harvest grow up. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Persevere in serving. Persevere in ministry. So much of this is so important now in our society. A whole generation is coming through that just expects everything to be there in the moment, Instantly. So we have to teach a whole generation how to wait upon God and receive things that grow up in the harvest. And our job is to keep watering in faith and expectation, to keep watering those things we've sown in prayer, looking for the fruit, looking for the return. Verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. See, Christianity isn't complicated, okay? Regardless of what you've been told, it is not complicated. It's as simple as this. Do good to the person in front of you. End of. Do good to the person in front of you. Who's in front of you? Who's in front of you now? Who's going to be in front of you this week? Might be someone in a checkout queue. Might be someone in the McDonald's queue. Might be someone in front of you at work. It Might be someone you face over a desk. It might be somebody in a shop. It might be someone you meet on the street. Do good to the person in front of you. This is the essence of what Christian life looks like. Every opportunity, let us do good to all people. It might be with your time, your resources, your friendship, your support, your prayer. Whatever you have at your disposal, how can you use it to do good to all people? See... Following Jesus isn't about meetings, it's not about churches in terms of structure, it's about being people of goodness. We've sung it again this morning, haven't we? Your goodness is running after me. We take that goodness and we kind of run after people with it. Let me show you what it looks like to follow Jesus. Let me show you God's goodness. Let me show you God's love. Back in 2016, when we first came to this church, we were praying, Kelly and I, about what was God saying to us about a vision for this church. And we had this phrase, good for everyone. We did a sermon series back in 2016 of that year. And this came out of a time of prayer and really saying, God, you know, what is the blueprint for Riverside? What is the thing that you want to say and do? And he took us to Acts 10. This is where Peter explains the person of Jesus. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good. So Jesus, under the power of the Spirit, went around doing good. And we felt God say that we were to be a church that was going to be good for everyone. Regardless of how they interacted or connected with us, we wanted to do good to the people that God brought in front of us. That was back in 2016. Here we are in 2019. And I think we've got a growing reputation of being good. Yeah? I think people who come... Well, it's like a murmur. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your British Reserve kills me sometimes. It's yeah. Come on, bro, come. <laughs> We've got this growing reputation of goodness. We've told you about it over and over again. People who come and connect with you and with us see us as a positive force of good in this community. A growing reputation of goodness. You know, we've started new ministries. We've started new things that are blessing the community. Key was sharing yesterday at the leaders' meeting how Grow Baby is now getting referrals, referrals all down through Thanet. There are social workers coming here on their day off because they want to connect what Grow is doing. We've got a reputation of growing goodness all along these coastlands, doing good to the people that God has placed in front of us. Excited by that? Because what God says he's going to do, he does, you see. <laughs> when we pray and God says, I want you to be good for everyone, then we step into that and we sow into that. That's what grows up. Hey, sowing and reaping. We've sowed into this desire to be good for everyone, and we're now beginning to reap a harvest in reputation and goodness and what people are seeing. It's not, I don't, use, I don't like the phrase rocket science, but it's not. It's sowing and reaping. It's sowing and reaping. What you sow, you will reap. And so we sow into that vision of being good for everyone, and that's what's starting to grow up. We begin to reap the harvest that Paul has promised. <coughs> but sowing is costly, isn't it? It takes time, it takes energy, it takes resources. You know, anyone who's got out in the garden and worked hard or gone on a farm, it's it's hard work. It's hard work preparing the ground and, and putting stuff in and, and waiting and watering. But the truth is, guys, the harvest is always greater than the value of the seed. Okay? A farmer doesn't look for just a straight bottom line. I bought, you know, £2 pounds worth of corn, I plant £2, per, two pounds worth of corn, I grow up £2 pounds worth of corn, and then I sell £2 pounds worth of corn. No, he's expecting a bigger crop, isn't he? He's bought his corn seed, he sows it, he's expecting a greater return from his harvest. That's why he's in farming, funnily enough. He's looking for a return. And so, no matter what the cost or the energy or the time of the sowing, the harvest is always going to be of a greater value. We just need to wait and water and expect. And then what grows up will be of a greater value for us. That's what Paul promises. We've seen changed lives. We've seen ministry started. We've seen things begin to happen. But it's just the beginning. It's the beginning of what we sow into, we will reap, as we sow to please the Spirit. Amen? Amen. To excite you slightly? Good. <laughs> oh, dear. What, are you guys like a football matches? I'd like to see you. Oh. <laughs> yes, I've just scored. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching the and Fedra play uh, on, the, what was it, Friday. And I, we had Andy for tea, and I was trying to introduce Andy to tennis. It's quite hard because tennis is quite crazy scoring, isn't it, when you not don't think about it. And I was on the sofa, and I was pumping it, and I was jumping it. I was like, come on! And church sure, she's like, yeah! <laughs> We did watch a good film. Despicable Me 3, come on. (laughs) You can get excited. You can get a bit, you know, a bit, yes, a bit Pentecostal if you want to. Um, Because God is doing great things in our midst. You know, as we sow, we will reap. That's the promise. You know, we don't just throw things into a black hole. You know, as we sow, Paul promises, we will reap. As we've sown this vision of being good for everyone. We're beginning to reap what we've sown. And it's really exciting. Okay, let's, let's begin to land this letter now, because um, that's where we are. So you imagine Paul at the end here, grabbing the pen off the scribe and saying, let me do a bit of writing. See what large letters I, I use. You know, he wants, to, he wants to affirm to the Galatian church, it is him. This is him who's writing to them. You know, look at my big scroll. You know, this is me. This is not just some sort of circular you've received. This is me. And I love you, and I care for you, and I want to show it's my handwriting, and and that's what he's trying to do here. He's trying to say, look, it's me. He's been trying to he's been trying to undermine these false teachers all the way through. He's passionate. You can imagine him being at distance. It's not like he could jump on a car, or a train, or a plane and get down there in a few hours. He's at distance. He's frustrated. This letter's going to take a while to get to them, carried over land by hand. It's not an email. It's, you know, it's going to take a while to get there. And he's trying to say, look, it's, it's me, I love you. And he's trying to put all that into this letter. Don't be, don't, be, don't be deceived, don't be led astray. And he has one more go at these false teachers. He says, look, they're just, they're just trying to avoid being persecuted. They're just trying to dodge the cross. They want to get circumcised so they fit in. So they blend in so they don't produce an offence. They're just in it for themselves. They're just trying to go for an easy ride. That's all they're trying to do. But ultimately, the gospel is offensive. It is going to offend. The cross stands against all these schemes we've talked about self-salvation that we look to. The world likes religion, but it doesn't like the cross. So people who love the cross tend to face some form of persecution. Tim Keller says this, the cross is by nature offensive. We can only grasp its sweetness if we first grapple with the offence. If someone understands the cross, it is either the greatest thing in their life or it is repugnant to them. If it is neither one of these two things, they haven't understood it. The cross is either everything or it's nothing. And what these false teachers have done, they're worshipping approval. They're trying to, they're in it for themselves. They're trying to bolster their own reputation. And that's the motive for their legalistic teaching. They're not really interested in this persecuted by the the Jews locally, the legalists. And so they're focusing on externals rather than the inner change that the gospel brings. See, guys, the gospel is always inside out, isn't it? It's always inside out. It always starts in and works out. It starts transforming on the inside and then produces change on the outside. These false teachers were outside in. They were trying to layer on things onto these believers to produce a change. It never works that way. It was superficial. It didn't produce a change in their hearts. The gospel is always inside out. What I like in this section is what Paul says, you know, what what he boasts in. What he boasts in. I want to encourage you. what, What do you boast in today? Where does your boast lie? You know, what do you you talk about? What do you boast in? What's your confidence in? He says, may I... uh," Let's get down to here. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, the cross is just a help to you. It's just an addition to you you'll always be looking to other things to make you feel complete. You'll always be looking to other things to add on to your salvation. But if the cross is everything to you, then that's what you will boast in. Religion leads us to boast in what we do. Okay? So religion will lead you to boast in your performance, your habits, or the things that you perceive that make you more acceptable to God. The gospel will cause you to boast in the cross because you know it's by utter grace that you are now a child of God. And that's what Paul says. The gospel leads us to boast in the cross of Christ because our identity in Jesus is confident and secure. We don't have to turn to our performance. Paul says the natural world has ceased to have any claims on me. There's nothing in the world I need to complete me. I'm not looking for something out there to make me feel better about who I am. Nothing in the world can bring me under its power or control me. And that's what his encouragement is for us. We don't don't distance ourselves from the world. We don't try and not be in the world. But we're not looking for something in the world to make us feel right or to make us feel complete or to make us feel like we're worth something. That's what most people are currently doing. They're looking to things in the world for identity and security. And Paul says, I'm set free from that. Paul says, I don't need to fear the world anymore. I don't need to worship the world anymore. I don't need to live relationships that are either make me feel inferior or superior anymore. I'm free. I'm free. I'm a new creation. In Christ. And this is where we come into land with this letter. The gospel changes us fundamentally. And that's what Paul wants to communicate with all his heart to the church in, Gal- in Galatia. You're a new creation in Christ. You're free to live. To live from the inside out. The gospel has changed your boast. You, don't, no, you no longer have to boast about the things that you've done or the things that you have You can boast in the cross of Christ. And to finish off, Paul just says, please leave me alone. (laughs) I'm doing my best. I'm trying to encourage you back into Jesus, but I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He says, you false teachers, you're all mouth and trousers. There's nothing about you. I've got the physical marks of apostleship on me. I've been beaten, tortured, shipwrecked, scarred. I carry on myself the marks of Jesus. You know, what are your marks for Jesus? Because we don't get through this life unscathed, do we? We don't. We, we take physical scars. We take emotional scars. You know, you will have marks for Jesus. You will have been marked because of the choices you've made to follow Jesus, to put your... Confidence in the cross. You will take those with you into heaven. Those marks for Jesus. Paul says, My body's like a roadmap of my choice to put my confidence in the cross. And these are the marks of a real ministry, guys. Real ministry isn't about the beautiful people who are all perfect. It's about us bearing in our bodies the scars, the marks of Jesus. We make choices that cost us for Him. Not riches and greatness but sometimes signs of suffering for the gospel. Suffering for the gospel. So he signs off the letter with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He began by grace. He carried on in grace. He finishes in grace. Not by anything else, but by Christ alone. We stand in grace. And that's what the Galatians needed to hear. They needed to hear they were secure, secure, in the cross of Christ, in the love of Christ, in the grace of Christ. That's exactly what we need to hear today. Because your identity is being contended for. Your security is being contended for. Even what you boast in is being contended for. And more than ever, we need to know we're children of the living God. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening.